bless you to turn in your Bibles to Paul's second letter to Timothy. Second letter to Timothy. Chapter 1. And you can find that on page 995 in the Pew Bibles. Children, here are your questions for this morning. First, should we ever be ashamed or afraid to say we believe in Jesus? Two, Paul suffered a lot from those who hated the gospel that he preached. What gave him courage to stay strong? Three, God has given all of his people gifts they can use to serve him. Your Sunday school teacher has the gift of teaching. Can you think of gifts some other people that you know have? And then a little word there at the bottom. As you grow in the Lord, you will see more clearly what gifts God has given you. Pray that God will give you strength and courage to use them for his glory. The passage is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. I'll begin reading at the beginning of the letter as we are just starting our series in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher." which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard that day until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. 
Almighty God, we do thank you for your holy word. We thank you that we can hear your voice, your will, expressed through your word. We pray that as we've given our attention to the reading of your word, now we pray that you would help us to give our attention to the preaching of your word. So we ask for help for the preacher. Lord, please minister to us through the preaching of the word. Send your Holy Spirit in a special way. And please prepare all of us to hear from you through the preaching of your word this morning, that we might hear from you and respond appropriately to what you would have us hear. We come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is Paul's second letter to young Timothy, who's been given charge over the churches in Ephesus. Uh, He's not made a long argument when we come to our first verse here, when he says that, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame. This reason, what is the reason? If we just take the first verses in our passage, there's just a few things. Perhaps he's referring to, to everything that passes, but even in the short opening, there's some authority in what Paul says about the reason why Timothy should work hard to fan into the flame, into flame, the gifts that God has given him for the ministry. First of all, Timothy's in Christ. That's number one. Timothy is a believer. He's received the grace of God. He's known the Savior. He knows the Savior. He's living for the Savior. Paul has already pointed out that his faith is evident. Secondly, Paul is encouraging him with apostolic authority. Paul has been appointed by God to be a leader in the church to bestow authority on Timothy. But it's not as if he just picks Timothy out of nowhere. Timothy is trustworthy. He's known Timothy for some time now. He knows he has a solid foundation in Christ. They've traveled together. Uh, He loves Timothy dearly. We'll touch on that in just a little bit. But here we understand that Timothy is called to the ministry. And what we're going to see in our passage is mostly what's directly applied to Timothy's ministry. But there's something in here for all of us. Because it's not only ministers. It's not only apostles and preachers that are given the gift of the Holy Spirit and gifts from God to use for his glory. It's every single one of us. Every Christian is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, given faith, given gifts to use for the glory of God. And the question for us, and it's what I want us to think about through the passage and through the sermon, is how is the Lord using us for his glory in his kingdom according to the gifts that he's given to us? that he's given to us. Paul tells Timothy that he's to to fan into flame, fan into flame these gifts. And you get the imagery of coals that, that if left by themselves while they might smolder for a while and have some heat, if they're left alone and not fanned into flame, they're simply going to go out and die a gray, cold death. Paul doesn't want Timothy to do that, but to do all he can to take the gifts that God has given him and to, and to fan those coals into a flame for active ministry in the church. He wants Timothy to be a fiery charismatic. He wants us to be fiery charismatics. What do I mean by that? I'm using that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. But the word for gifts is charisma. 
And of course, we have the word for fanning into the flame, the fire here. So, so a fiery use of our gifts, not in the charismatic sense, as my once Pentecostal friend used to put it, not in the sense of, of tongue talkers and faith walkers, but people who understand that we've been gifted by God with gifts to use for his kingdom, gifts for his glory that we should use for zeal for his kingdom. Timothy obviously called to the ministry. He has a unique set of gifts, unique tools for the ministry. Again, he was ordained to the ministry, approved by the elders to serve as a pastor, prayed over, laid hands on by the Apostle Paul himself. And so he is ready to be sent, or he is already sent to minister in the church of Ephesus, but he needs to keep strong. Timothy, it said, by nature was somewhat timid, somewhat retreating, and he needs to be constantly reminded to be strong. Remember, Timothy's in the midst of very trying times. As we learn in 1 Timothy, and as was already mentioned in this series, they're first of all in the setting of Rome under Nero. Paul's writing from prison, facing his own death. Timothy's dealing with trouble from the outside and trouble from within the church. And so Timothy's got a lot on his plate. The temptation would be to just withdraw and not deal with these things. Paul is saying you can't do that. You've got to be strong. You've got to be, as we might say, on fire for the Lord. Timothy's need is very obvious, and Paul's goal is to encourage him in the midst of those things. In doing so, he reminds Timothy of the nature of the gift that he's been given. Verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. Verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God has given us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. How is Timothy, especially considering his disposition, going to do the things that he's called to do? He's been given power from God. Timothy has to realize that he is weak in and of himself. In fact, Paul, whose character we would think of as a very strong personality, also had to realize that he was weak in and of himself and that it was the power of God that he needed to do the things that he was called to do. The power does not originate with us in ourselves. He has to have courage. He has to have self-discipline. But the source of power is the Holy Spirit. The second thing Paul mentions is love. And that, that kind of seems a little bit out of place. Power, love, and self-control. Love. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit for Timothy, and in fact for any Christian, gives us the ability to love to a degree that we are not naturally inclined to do. And so Timothy, being a minister, would have to have a measure of love for the people to whom he's ministering to. In fact, I would suggest that, that love is the driving force behind ministry. 
probably remember when Paul is talking about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you're not, he's talking about how you can have all kinds of different gifts, some extraordinary gifts, self-sacrifice, this and that. I would say a minister could have a golden tongue and a huge church, but if he's lacking love, he amounts to nothing. And what he does amounts to nothing. Power, love, and self-control. The ability to stay steadfast in the faith. Not giving in to fears. Not getting distracted. Not giving in to temptations. You think of those three things and how essential they are to the ministry and to every Christian as well. But in the ministry, think about what would it be like if he was lacking those things, if there was no power. The weak and feeble efforts. If he was loveless, his words would really mean nothing. If he wasn't self-controlled to be tossed around by every wind of doctrine. No wonder someone who neglects the power and the love and the self-control given by God would be fearful. Paul saying, Timothy, you cannot, you must not be that way. In fact, further, you need to be fearless and shameless. Fearless and shameless. Verse 8, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed. You have nothing to be ashamed about. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to be ashamed about. Think, Timothy, simply of this. Whose are you? Who do you belong to? Belong to the Almighty God who called you to be his own. What can man do to you if you belong to God? And further, he's the one who saved you. Who saved you? Will you be ashamed of the one who underwent complete and utter shame and disgrace, mocked and scorned and crucified for all eyes to see? Would you be ashamed of that Savior who underwent shame and scorning for your sake? No, Timothy, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of of the Christ who saved you. Don't be ashamed, don't be afraid of Jesus or his gospel. And Paul adds, don't be ashamed of me either. Here he is in prison. From a worldly perspective, would seem like his ministry has miserably failed. He's in a prison that is underground, dingy, dark, a little hole for air, a little hole for light, some food, facing death. Temptation would be to say that pastor, that minister is a failure. Don't associate me with Paul. Associate me with some big name. No, says Paul, don't even be ashamed of me. I'm in a pitiful state, but I'm here for the glories of Christ. Well, again, principles apply to all who are in fellowship with Christ. We're a part of this 
this ministry, this ongoing ministry of the kingdom. And each one of us has been gifted. And so we need to consider these gifts that we're given, that we're equipped with. Jump over to Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Good reminder there in chapter 4 of the fact that God's people are given gifts, given gifts by God sent to us from Christ himself. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, to the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." And so you see there that we are equipped. We're given gifts, and the ministers are given gifts to help those who are equipped to be fruitful in their ministries. Your pastor and your elders are here to help you fan into flame the gifts that you have. We'll come back to that. But here's a rule of thumb that we need to think about. If we have been gifted by God, And I say if as in since. And if we have the Holy Spirit, I say if as in since, then we all ought to be using our gifts. As one of our people put it, we will have no peace and no rest. There's no peace and no rest for the Christian who is not yoked with Christ in his work. In other words, if we're not using our gifts, we're going to be agitated in somehow or another. But central to all this, and we can't forget it, is the gospel of Christ. Paul's point is driven home in 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 the verses where he speaks about the power of the gospel of Christ. Pick up in verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I'm sorry, that's Ephesians. Jump back. My apologies. Back in Timothy. There we go. Verse 9. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
Central to everything is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's central to scripture. It's central to the work of the church. It's central to anyone who would be a preacher or a teacher. It's central to every Christian. The saving power of Christ. The saving power of God manifest in Christ, transforming lives through the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul had. That's what Timothy had. That's what every Christian has. But there's something here that we definitely don't want to miss. Paul makes it clear that this was a part of God's, is a part of God's sovereign grace. It's part of his sovereign grace. which he has given us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. I don't know about you, but if I had any inkling that my salvation depended on my faithfulness, I would find this to be a very unnerving religion. But God is the one who saved us. God is the one who secures us. And it goes back before time even began. Go back to Ephesians if you can. Some verses here that may be very confusing for some people. But I believe they were penned specifically for saints. To remind us how sure and solid our salvation is that would instill in us a fearlessness and a confidence and certainly a mindset that would never have us be ashamed of who we are and who we believe in. This is Ephesians 1 beginning in verse 4. Start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And we'll just end right there. But who marked you, if you're in Christ, to be his own? He did. God did. From before time, in his sovereign grace, and his predestinating love. And that is, in fact, something that should boggle our minds. Anyone who says, I can simply explain why God chose me, or anyone who can simply explain God's sovereign grace thinks that they can simply explain the way predestination works outside of the absolute sovereignty of God, thinks that they know more than they actually do. 
This doctrine of God's electing grace is one of the strongest foundations we have for our faith, but one of the greatest mysteries of his love that we can not even begin to fathom. That gives us great confidence. But remember that it's all through the power of God, all manifest in Christ, and all through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. We've been given the Spirit and the gifts of God. The Spirit and the gifts are ours. By the way, that Spirit there in our passage, the Spirit of power and of love and self-control, we should understand that as the Holy Spirit. This is not just an attitude. This comes with being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so every Christian is wonderfully gifted, We've been given the gospel. And we're to build on that and we're to share it. It's the most precious thing we have is our salvation. And we should cherish it, but we're never to hoard it. And that's where all of us come into this kingdom work. See, there's the wonderful gospel. There's there's the filling of the Holy Spirit. There's gifted saints. But now the work has to be done. And Paul's done his work. He's at the end of his race. And he's saying, Timothy, now you've got to carry on the work there in Ephesus. You've got to be a guardian of the gospel. It's so very important for every reason that we just read about because the power of God, the work of Christ, and the promised transformation of the Holy Spirit is all in that gospel. And it's got to be guarded, and as Paul says, it's worth suffering for. Well, there's certainly so much more I would like to say about our passage, a whole third point in our sermon. But for this morning, because I think I'm sensing my own limitations and our congregation's limitations, I'm going to bring it to a close and remind us of this. Simply, we'll pick up on it. You have to come back next week. It's my advertisement. That it's not Paul alone, and it's not Timothy alone, and it's not preachers alone who have been gifted with the Holy Spirit and with gifts to use for the advancement of his kingdom. And there's not one of us who is in Christ who should ever be afraid or ashamed of the gospel to which we've been called, through which we've been called to belong to Christ. And so in the meantime, before I can elaborate on this, the Lord willing, next week, I want us all to consider very seriously the fact that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, that each and every one of us, no matter how old we are, no matter how long we've been running with Christ, walking with Christ, journeying with Christ, we've been given gifts by God to use. And I urge you with the Apostle Paul and the way he urged Timothy, fan into flame, fan into flame that gift you've been given, the gift of faith, and the gifts that you've been given, having received that faith. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you give us in your word. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be on fire for you. You've saved our souls. You've called us to be your own. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us the spirit of power. Dare we quench that due to fear, temptations, or distractions. You've given us love in a way that we can hardly understand ourselves, but you've shown it to us so perfectly in Christ Jesus. You've commanded us to display Christ-like love to others, and to our astonishment, you've actually gifted us with the ability to love. Lord, help us not to quench that all-important, vital, lasting gift that you've given to your people. And Lord, you've given us the spirit of self-control. May it be that we would not be tossed around by every wind of doctrine, that we would not delve into things in our lives that would weaken our walk with you and take from us the power that we should be tapping into, clouding the love that we should be expressing because of our lack of self-control. But Lord, help us to be diligent in the things you've called us to do. And Lord, help us to use the gifts that you've given to us, to fan into flame the precious faith you've given to us and all the gifts that you've given to us to serve you in your kingdom. Use us, we pray as we come to you in the name of the one who gave his life for us, Jesus Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen.